It's October 15, 2009, an ordinary Tuesday for the residents of Denver, Colorado. I was just doing work around the house. Robert Sanchez, senior writer at 5280 Magazine, was at home in Colorado when something on the television caught his attention. And it just happens to be in the state where you're living, and it stops you in your tracks. It was like something out of a movie. I'm just like staring at this thing or hurtling through, through the air. There are helicopters following this. There are police and sheriff following this. I think firefighters, paramedics, they're following this. And the thing they were chasing? It looked like a Jiffy Pop popcorn container, if you know what that is. Some folks may be too young to know, but if you're a bit seasoned like me, you might have grown up with this wonder of an invention. A silver foil pan thing full of popcorn kernels that you'd put on the stove. As the pan heats up, they would explode. And abracadabra, this foil bubble full of popcorn would just magically appear. And that's what the balloon looked like. It was aluminum lined on the outside, so it shimmered in the light. And it was made of all sorts of rubber and and duct tape and glue. And at the bottom of it, it had this small wooden basket, kind of a basket, but it was sealed. So what the hell was it doing flying across Colorado? A balloon had gotten out of a backyard and had taken flight. But it was what the presenter said next that made Robert's stomach drop. It was presumed that there was a six-year-old child named Falcon Heaney who was in the balloon as it was hurtling across the farmland in in northern Colorado. Damn. As far as everyone knew, a little kid had climbed inside this rickety, taped-together, jiffy-pop, makeshift backyard balloon and was now heading towards Denver International Airport. As a parent, your first thought is, oh my gosh, there's a child in that. And what if it crashes? What if someone falls out? And then your heart breaks for the parents. Robert and everybody else watched in anticipation, waiting to find out if the boy was going to be okay. And then it starts losing steam, and then it starts deflating slowly, 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 and then it crash lands in a field. And that was a real hold-your-breath moment because you're thinking about, is the kid alive? I'm Alzo Slate, and from something else, this is Cheat, a series that tells the inside stories behind some of the biggest cheating scandals in history and tries to answer the question, is it ever okay to break the rules? It's October 2009, one year into the Great Recession. The recession had smashed American lives, and people were out of work. People who wanted to work could not find work, and it was a terrible, scary time. This is Robert Sanchez, senior writer at 5280 Magazine in Denver. In Fort Collins, Colorado, the Heaney family is struggling to make ends meet. Richard Heaney, the father of the family, had been doing a lot of handyman jobs for money, 
And when the Great Recession hit, he lost all that work. Robert had hung out quite a bit with the Heenies in 2019 for an article he was writing. He spent a lot of quality time with them, building obstacle courses with the kids, and coming over to have pizza with the fam and talk about all sorts of stuff. They told him a lot about what their life had been like over the past 10 years. Things were tight. Richard, the dad, had a family to provide for. His wife, Mayumi, and their three boys, Bradford, Rio, and Falcon. He needed work. Badly. They had a lot of collections mail showing up at the house. They had debts. They were trying to feed their children. They were trying to pay their rent. The kids were receiving free and reduced lunches at school. Which in the United States is a real sign of living like in an impoverished level. These kids would come to school looking a little bedraggled. Mayumi was doing some video editing jobs, but that work had dried up too. Richard was was taking like the most basic jobs. He would go over to people's houses and change their light bulbs for them. He had told me about a time he had to go over to somebody's house and she had, I guess, dog feces all over the backyard that he had to come and, and he spent an afternoon collecting dog feces just to just to put food on his family's table. You got to do what you got to do to feed your family, I guess. But in real life, he wasn't a handyman. He was an inventor. Stuff like the bear scratch, a three-foot-long back scratcher you drill into your house. He also had some crazy hobbies, like storm chasing. They were getting attention on YouTube for their storm chasing, and they had hooked up with actually some fairly respected folks who went out and storm chased with them. Richard Heaney actually had some credentials. He was a meteorologist and a former weatherman. They had weather that was so bad it was like busting out windows in their vehicle, and they had their kids with them. Richard knew his stuff, and Mayumi was helping him every step of the way. She would often be the person who was uh, running the video camera while they were storm chasing. She sometimes was the person who was driving the van. And the Heaney family storm chasing hobby got them some attention. This was like the height of like rude reality television. So you gotta understand, at this time, everywhere you looked, there was a reality TV show where they would cast these crazy caricature personalities. These would be people that you may not like, but you still felt compelled to watch. The Heenies, in so many ways, were just part of that reality show culture. They just filmed everything, just mundane aspects of their life. They went to Home Depot, they video themselves. They're hanging around the house, they're videoing themselves. Because everything to them was a potential television score. And in 2008, the Heenies were invited to be on Wife Swap. You remember that show? Yeah, it's exactly what the title suggests. These people were actually trading wives. They would take a husband and a wife from one place and a husband and a wife from another place who just lived completely different lives, right? So you might have one family that's like, we're into dirt bikes and our house is super messy and our we have 12 dogs and, and we're just this crazy family who doesn't care about this, this, and you can't tell us what to do. And then the other family will be this like prim and proper like New Hampshire family. Their house is just immaculate. All the kids are in sports and the kids have 4.0 GPAs. The two wives 
they switched households to live with the other family for a while. And so Mayumi, Richard's wife, she goes to live with a family who was pretty much the complete opposite of her own. Mayumi's family, they were all adventurous, storm-chasing and inventing, living life on the edge. But she went to live with this safety-conscious family. You know, the kind of house where all the toys are in a designated area and the kids are pretty much in bubble wrap so they don't get hurt while they're walking down the street. Richard comes off as really this this person who's just bouncing off the walls. Mayumi and Richard, they actually met at acting school. So they knew that putting on an act for Wife Swap would get them some attention. They knew how to play the role. The kids played a role. You know, and Mayumi was just this perfectly nice, kind woman who got swapped out, you know, with this other family. And here's Richard just being hell on earth and being so rude to this woman who came into his house. You know what? This is great. Every man in America is going, yeah, you tell her because her mouth doesn't stop just like my wife. He was so rude, kind of like the woman exists to please me and to serve me and to do what I say because I'm the man and I'm the leader. You're a man's nightmare. I mean, the whole idea of wife swap is already based in chauvinistic, patriarchal bullshit. The way Richard was acting was basically just a personification of that. I think at some point, the character of Richard Heaney took over Richard Heaney as the person. And that ended up turning into wife swap, where if you watch wife swap, he comes across as a misogynist and as an insane person. And what's crazy is their act was so successful that they were brought back for the 100th episode of Wife Swap as the fan favorites. I had been told, I don't even know if this is the truth anymore, but like at the time, that was the most watched Wife Swap ever. The media said so much about the Heenies. And fame or the desire for it can do strange things to folk. So it's hard to know what was actually real with them. But whatever it was, people were loving it. And through that, they had gotten interest from the people who had produced Wife Swap. This production company says, you guys are great. The producers wanted to create a reality TV show around the Heaney family, a show about science and storm chasing. They went through all these machinations to try to get this show off the ground. That was a terrible pun and I did not mean it, I apologize. But it wasn't going anywhere. They had five rejections in five months. So the Heenies were trying to make ends meet by doing odd jobs here and there, but they held on to the hope that reality TV could drag them out of poverty. You remember, these kids were on free school meals. Richard was picking up dog shit for cash, and the bank was sending them letter after letter. And then one night, Richard turns to his wife and asks if she knows the story of Lawn Chair Larry. And she doesn't. So he goes and explains who Lawn Chair Larry was, who was this guy who attached balloons to a lawn chair and lifted himself off the ground to the point where I believe the police had to be called because he was about to interfere with air traffic space at Los Angeles International Airport. And he eventually came down. He may have paid a fine, but... Lawn Chair Larry ends up on David Letterman. <laughs> Sam, 
sounds, uh, sounds just like NASA, doesn't it? Well, uh, we're delighted to have this gentleman with us tonight. Please welcome Larry Walters. He ends up signing like some contract with Timex, the watch company. That's it. Lawn chair Larry could be the blueprint for the Heaney's plan to escape their financial problems. You just take one part storm-chasing inventor and add one part wife swap reality star, and boom, you could get a lawn chair Larry for the reality show age. So Richard started brainstorming ideas to figure out how his own invention might score him a slot on Letterman, something that would get him in front of 4 million viewers. Richard had an idea. Richard had told me that what he wanted to do was create essentially a balloon air race somewhere perhaps like in Utah, more desert landscape where they would try to race these things. He thought building his own test balloon would interest production companies and get his reality TV show going. So Richard started working on a balloon, the Jiffy Pop container. And on October 15, 2009, the family gathered in the back garden to do a test run. This was it. If the test run went well, they would have some great footage to send to the producers. No more handyman jobs, no more overdue bills. They would have their own reality TV show, money and security. Things would finally be better for them. One of Richard's sons, Bradford, age 10, was filming the experiment. Mayumi and Richard, they're standing by the balloon. The balloon is tethered to a wooden platform in the garden and is floating above them. Not exactly NASA, but the parents begin to count down. Six, five, four, three, two, one! Whoa! The balloon flies off, and Richard just starts screaming and swearing at Mayumi. Are you here? She was supposed to have tethered it to the platform. Then suddenly Bradford, who was behind the camera, he runs up to the parents. The camera's propped up somewhere and it's still recording. He says, Falcon was in there. Dad, he was in the ship. I saw him crawl in. The parents dismiss Bradford at first, but then they start panicking. They start calling for Falcon. He's nowhere to be found. So Richard calls the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration and he asked them to track the balloon. They tell him to call the police. 911, what's the address of your emergency? Hi, this is Fort Collins for the transfer. Uh, this woman and her husband stating that their six-year-old son, they had an experimental flying saucer that they built. Mm-hmm. They believe that um, their six-year-old son is in it and flying around. They left on him 20 minutes ago. Okay, thank you. He's on the phone with you now, okay? Okay, thank you. Okay. Uh-huh. Ma'am? What's your name? My name is Mayumi. Mayumi is over there sobbing. That's when they call a news channel and ask them to send out a helicopter to track the balloon. National Guard helicopters, news channels, and local police, they pursued the balloon for 90 minutes on the ground and in the air. For those 90 minutes, the whole country was on the edge of its seat. Was the boy inside still alive? Everyone is glued to the news and that Jiffy Pop balloon flying across Colorado. And then it starts losing steam, and then it starts deflating slowly, 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 and then it 
crash lands in a field. And then a man starts running towards this thing. More and more people are gathering around the balloon. They open up the compartment at the bottom. They look really confused, and that's when you think, okay, there's no kid in it. Wait, there was no kid in it. Falcon was nowhere to be found. But then a worrying report came in. Someone in law enforcement thought they saw something fall out of this, like, basket thing. They thought Falcon had fallen out during the flight. And rightfully so, panic resumed. A, a little while later, the, the, the police are, are over at the, the Heaney's house, and they're searching and searching and searching, and, and all of a sudden, Falcon Heaney shows up in the house. This little fella just shows up out of nowhere, and he asks his mom for a sandwich, like nothing had ever happened. He was hiding in an attic in the garage. He had crawled into a secret hiding spot, started playing with his cars, then he fell asleep. Everyone was relieved. Richard and Miami, law enforcement, hell, the whole of Colorado was relieved. The Heenies were asked to do a few major interviews after that. They actually did an interview with Wolf Blitzer on Larry King Live that evening. It was then that Wolf asked Falcon a question that would change everything. He's asking Falcon, did you hear us calling your name at any time? You did? You did? Why didn't you come out? We did this for the show. For the show? What does that mean? That's coming up after the break. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome to True Spies, the podcast that takes you deep inside the greatest secret missions of all time. Suddenly out of the dark, it's appeared in Laden. You'll meet the people who live life undercover. What do they know? What are their skills? And what would you do in their position? Vengeance felt good. Seeing these people pay for what they'd done felt righteous. True Spies from Spyscape Studios. Wherever you get your podcasts. The media had started calling Falcon Balloon Boy. He was the boy who had supposedly flown across Colorado in his father's handmade balloon, sparking a massive rescue operation only for him to be found at home. Obviously, a few news organizations wanted to talk to him. So after Falcon was found safe and sound and given a sandwich, the family did an interview on Larry King Live. Did you hear us calling your name at any time? Mm -hmm. You did? You did? Why didn't you come out? Um... You guys said that we did this for the show. He said, you guys said we did this for the show. What did he mean? Suddenly, that's all the media wanted to know. Had the whole thing been for a show, or was this a little kid talking nonsense? So two days after that, Larimer County, the sheriff's office, ask Richard to go to their office and Mayumi 
goes as well. And they take individual polygraph tests. The police come in and tell Richard that he failed the polygraph test. The sheriff's department was convinced that Richard and Miami had set the whole thing up. And then all hell broke loose for the family. That's when Richard Heaney called David Lane, a civil rights lawyer. He was being pilloried in the media to such an extent. And I also thought this is a very straightforward, simple case. This is David. He decided to take the case pro bono. Then he invited the family to his office to talk. And just watching them interact with their children, I thought, this is a very, very loving, tight family. But David would have his work cut out for him. Richard maintained that they believed Falcon was in the balloon, but the sheriff's department didn't believe them. They were gunning for felony charges against the Heenies. This should have been a misdemeanor charge. They were playing to the media, and that is outrageous. Normally, a false report, assuming that they believed this was a false report, that would have been a misdemeanor. The prosecutors and the cops wanted their pound of flesh because they were made to look foolish in the eyes of America. They threatened Miami with deportation. They said, if this case goes to trial and you lose, we'll send you back to Japan. And you see, at the time, Miami was living in the U.S., but she wasn't a naturalized citizen. They were essentially saying, we will take your wife from your children. And if you want to see her again, you'll have to move to Japan. There was a chance that they could win if this went to trial. You see, the sheriff's department had gone through all of the Heaney's computers, but they hadn't found anything against them. So the DA's main piece of evidence was what Falcon had said to Wolf Blitzer. And that's not really a strong case. I mean, you can see it play out. A prosecutor grilling a six-year-old boy. Tell the truth. Your parents made you do it. Yeah, you don't want your case hinging on that. And when prosecutors have thin evidence, they look for leverage in order to shake people down for concessions. A concession would be a plea of guilty. Richard had a big decision to make. He could go to trial where the prosecutor would have to prove beyond any reasonable doubt to the satisfaction of 12 jurors unanimously that Richard knew Falcon was in the balloon. And maybe Richard could win, but there was a chance that he would lose Miami if he didn't. Or he could plead guilty and become a felon. Richard was left in the situation of, look, we have a decent defense. We could take this to trial. But if, we, if Naomi loses at trial, she's gone. Our family is ripped apart and she's thrown out of the country. We can't take that risk. So Richard, as a stand-up husband and father, agreed to plead to a felony and avoid deportation for his wife. Richard served 28 days in jail, two days off for good behavior, and 28 days with an ankle monitor. Mayumi was sentenced to 20 days of weekend jail. It's a ridiculously harsh conviction. The man had no criminal record. Nobody charged with a false report in Colorado goes to jail on a first offense. Nobody gets charged with a felony on a first offense. It should have been a misdemeanor, and it should have been a deferred judgment, meaning, at worst, you do some community service, 
and you're on probation for six months. And then at the end of your community service, your conviction is vacated and you continue your life with no criminal record. But for the first time ever, the eyes of the international media were fixed firmly on Fort Collins and it had affected the case. Prosecutors are ethically obligated to seek justice, not convictions. The media presence in this case so colored the judgment of the prosecutors that they completely lost their perspective that their true job is to seek justice, not convictions, and all they wanted was a conviction. The Heenies had made a fool out of the sheriff's department on national TV. Now they wanted to make an example of them. The whole world had to know that this would never happen again. I've told people, America is an adolescent teenager. When you fool an adolescent teenager, you can expect maximum retaliation. So you have to understand, a felony record essentially strips you of your citizenship. It's excessively harsh. It was already hard for Richard to get work. Now he had a felony on his record, and getting a good job was damn near impossible. He couldn't even vote anymore. So he decided to move to Florida with his family and start afresh. Then 10 years later, Robert went to visit Richard for an article he was writing. I called Richard and I told him what I'd found. And then Mayumi just breaks right into the conversation and she is in tears and I can barely understand her through her tears. And she says to me, I made the whole story up. That's coming up after the break. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. It's 2019. Richard Heaney has been living with a felony on his record for the past 10 years. The family is living in a trailer in New York State, renovating a house for a client to flip. And they did live in this trailer for the entire summer. At right parked outside of this old farmhouse that had this massive spray of just green mold up the side. It just smelled like mold, and they had, they had taken walls out. They had tried to shore up the foundation because, like, everything was collapsing around this place. And Richard was brought in, basically, to rehab the house so that it could be sold. For all the pain it had brought them, the Balloon Boy attention hadn't brought them any TV deals or financial gain. They were struggling, just like they were 10 years before but they still had hopes that fame would come. They had started a heavy metal band, the Heaney Boys in Florida, and Falcon was like the front man on that. They even rented out a whole theater and recorded their own rock opera. They honestly thought that maybe they could get a, some kind of like Netflix show where they, the rock opera would be shown. Robert left feeling a lot of warmth toward the Heaney's. He had everything he needed. 
but Mayumi had agreed for him to look through some of the old documents from the case. So Robert took a trip to see her lawyer in Fort Collins. I drove up to Fort Collins and the box was there for me in a conference room. So I opened up the box and it was filled with mouse poop and it was just, everything was just kind of shoved in there. And so I started going through it. In this box, Robert found bills, documents from collection agencies, letters from the bank. It was obvious how difficult things had been for the family 10 years ago. Then Robert found a stack of 12 pages that would change everything. And the first page had a blue sticky note on it that said, notes from Mayumi. Mayumi had written these notes for her lawyer. They detailed everything that led up to the day that the balloon escaped. The first entry was dated April 27, 2009. Mayumi wrote that the family needed to record their own pilot episode to get production companies interested in making a full series. They had been rejected five times over five months, so they needed the pilot to be really good. In her notes, there were entries about Richard working on a flying saucer and the family recording various stages of the process for the pilot. But then... Everything gets really strange. And on October 6th, this is the thing that stopped me cold. On those papers, Mayumi had written, We have a video of Falcon saying, I want to get inside of it. My heart stopped when I saw that because I knew what was going to come after that. Mayumi goes on to write, At night, Richard asked me to remember about the story of Lawn Chair Larry. Then Richard mentioned, what if Falcon hid for half hours later and landed, then mentioned in paper, Fort Collins, Falcon can hide in the closet with a safe in the basement. The family would be famous, and they'd have it all on video for the pilot of their new series. So this is how it was supposed to pan out. Falcon would hide in the basement for a while. Mayumi and Richard would release the balloon in the backyard. Then they'd do some acting for the camera, Oh no, Falcons climbed inside the balloon. Which seems possible because they've got footage from a few days earlier of Falcon getting inside the balloon. Then the parents would call a news station to get a helicopter and they'd be on TV. This was supposed to be a 30-minute blip of time whereby it would generate enough interest in the locally that the story gets picked up by the Associated Press. Maybe then you show up on, on national television and then you start getting the reality TV show offers. It would all be resolved pretty quickly. And then Falcon would just emerge from the basement and there'd be the tearful reunion. But it didn't work out like that. Falcon was supposed to hide in the closet in the basement next to the safe. They went down and he was not there. Richard goes down, not there. Mayumi is in hysterics looking around the house, calling for Falcon's name. He is not there. Now, Mayumi suddenly thinks Falcon might actually be inside the balloon. So she freaks out for real. So that's when the plan really falls apart. Richard calls the FAA, and they tell him to call 911. Getting the police involved was not part of the plan either. The deputies show up. Neighbors start searching. And then all of a sudden you've got helicopters in the sky and there's the balloon and is Falcon Heaney in this. They never intended on this blowing up the way it did. Mayumi had written all of that out in her notes. 
notes that had sat in a box for 10 years gathering dust until Robert found them. Finding documents like this would usually be a journalist's dream, but Robert felt disappointed. He had spent time with the family, even grown fond of them, and they had lied to him. Like, I remember that afternoon, I drove back from the attorney's office in Fort Collins to my house south of Denver, and I didn't turn on my radio. I drove two hours in silence because I was so bummed. Those kids are great. Mayumi is wonderful. Robert called Richard and Mayumi. I told them what I'd found, that I'd found Mayumi's notes in the box. And Richard just didn't know what to say. He asked where I'd gotten the notes and if he could see them. And I could hear Mayumi in the background, like denying, 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 denying to Richard that she'd written anything. So he emailed the notes to Richard and waited for them to call back. My exact question was, so you didn't suggest that Falcon could hide in the closet with a safe in the basement? Rightfully so. Robert wanted to find out if what Mayumi had written was true. Had this whole thing been a hoax? Mayumi just breaks right into the conversation, and she says to me, I made the whole story up. Mayumi was backtracking fast. She said what she had written in those notes for her lawyer was a lie. And then Richard just yells out, what do you mean you wrote this? And it just sounded so false, just like bad acting. And then he said, what the fuck are you talking about? You said you didn't know what this was. Why would you write this? And he said it in such an angry, mean way. It kind of reminded Robert of the angry guy role Richard put on during his episode of Wife Swap. And he said, oh my God, fuck. What the fuck? Every time you write something, you cause a fucking shitstorm. Robert spent a whole lot of time with his family, so he could tell when they were being fake. This was all an act. Robert asked Mayumi directly again. I asked Mayumi if she had made up the notes. Right. So I gave her the the chance to say yes or no. So and she said, yeah. And there was just just like dead silence. And Richard just says, Mayumi, you're covering your mouth. I don't think he could hear you. And Mayumi says, yeah, again. And I was like, "Okay." So Mayumi was still denying it. Nobody was sure if it was set up or not. But those notes sounded pretty convincing. Enough for Robert to publish his article. The Balloon Boy Hoax. Saul. And a year later, in December of 2020, Mayumi and Richard Heaney were both pardoned by the governor of Colorado. After 10 years, the felony charges were finally scrubbed from their records. After all that, The Heenies got nothing. They got no money, no brand deals, no TV show. They just ended up struggling harder than before. They thought the promised land of reality TV and media spotlight would be their savior. But turns out, it was the media that ended up destroying them. Those of us in America made Richard Heaney who he became. And he just gave us what we wanted. 
we created them. Society created them. And then we want to point a finger back and be like, what a bunch of terrible people. They've been on the stage the whole time and we've been applauding them. But we love seeing people fall. Hey folks, thanks for listening. Just a reminder to follow Cheat wherever you get it. And please do leave a rating and a review if you like what we're doing. It helps other people discover the show. And of course, we want more listeners. Also, if you want to listen to the show without the ads, you can subscribe to Cheat Plus. It's like Cheat, but better. It's just $2.99 a month, or if you're in the UK, £2.49. And you get all of this without having to listen to those annoying commercials. Just go to Apple Podcasts and hit subscribe instead of follow. You can try it for free now. Next time on Cheat. Now we know the sugar industry was hard at work as early as the 1950s to make sure that people didn't think that there was anything wrong with eating too much sugar. Cheat is written and presented by me, Alzo Slade. The producer for this episode is Mira Kumar. The series editor is Joe Sykes. The original idea for this show was developed by Tom Fuller. Engineering, sound design, and scoring by Martin Peralta. Our design and visual team is Emma Lansdowne and Sarah De La Rue. Special thanks to Steve Ackerman, Mark Rivers, Peggy Sutton, Lizzie Jacobs, and Ella McLeod.